Welcome to the brand new political podcast, Let's Talk Politics, hosted by Bailey Nash Gardner and Emilio Ray. This podcast is for people who are interested in the news of the day and want to dive in deeper with us. Welcome back to the Let's Talk Politics podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Nash Gardner. And I'm your co-host, Emilio Ray. So um, the first topic that uh, me and Emilio decided that we wanted to talk about was obviously the Owen Patterson scandal, um, you know, MPs having second jobs, all that sort of thing. Um, so Emilio, what have your thoughts been on it? You know, what do you think uh, the government need to be doing or Parliament as a whole, really? Yeah, so it's, it seems like it was sort of... Um... Uh, dare I use the word scandal, but it sort of rocked. I, th- I think it rocked many in the Conservative Party because sort of Owen is um, quite a, a veteran MP. So I think, um, I suppose there's always one person that has to be the fall man for something like this. And I think it, it looks like he was the fall man. Sort of, we, we saw that main sort of Tories were, were backing him and then so they just everyone sort of just stepped away it was like a, a, a landmine that that's my sort of thing um I don't know what you sort of thought about the Owen Patterson well personally I think ultimately what he did do was break the rules what the government then tried to do was even worse and yeah. completely changed the situation um, actually, I think, again, maybe this is me being slightly strategic here. You've got to remember, you've got two by-elections coming up. Well, essentially, there's now going to be a third because um, Owen's resigned. And, you know, completely trying to change the rules for one of your own is wrong on all levels. Um, the people that I hold responsible for that are literally just anybody who sits on the front bench. I feel sorry for the backbenchers in the Conservative Party. Um, you know, it was a free line whip. You know, what do you do? Do you vote for the changes? You know, being a good party loyalist, or would you take a step back, vote no, and be a constituency MP? I um, think just. I think you've just highlighted the the exact problem here. We elect members of parliament but it would seem the case that many members of parliament will usually put the party first i know that's not always the case not every mp but in this sort of issue if you was a tory mp you didn't really have um an option and i think as you rightly pointed out i think the the, the fact that they then tried to change the rules, mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, look at the optics alone on that is just terrible. Not to mention sort of the sort of morality of doing that. Um, you can't just change the rules willy-nilly to sort of suit yourself. I think they've shot themselves in the foot. I would quite like to highlight, and I've literally just gone and found this, the 13 MP, Conservative MPs, I'm going to mention, because these are sort of the ones, the Conservatives are the ones who've managed to get themselves caught up in this, who voted against the amendment to suspend um, a vote on Patterson, was Aaron Bell, uh, whoever he is, uh, Jackie Doyle-Price, Richard Fuller, Katie Griffiths, 
Mark Harper, um, I actually saw his speech in the House of Commons. Um, Simon, I want to use the word whore, but I think that must be wrong. Um, Kevin Holin Rake, Nigel Mills, Jill Mortimer, um, who was obviously elected to Hartlepool, um, Holly Mumby Croft, Matthew Offord, John Stevenson, and William Ragg. I think that is essentially 13 Conservatives who voted, you know, full on against. I believe some abstained, uh, which is yeah. a bit bad, but yeah, I think those 13 MPs focus more on their constituency. Um, you know, my MP did vote um, with the government and I completely respect why she did that, but would I have personally done that? I don't think I would. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, uh, to, out of the list of MPs, Jill Mortimer um, rings a bell, newly sort of elected. Yeah. Um, and that's what we want to see. You know, you, that uh, seat has always been Labour. She's obviously serving sort of her, her own interests as well as sort of the parties. And that's what we need. Sort of, I think we need to go back to that. But I, it, when we talk about second jobs, I never really had an issue with it before, but I think the fact that sort of Owen was involved in basically lobbying as well, that's sort of more of what I took issue with yeah. because uh, to me, when I vote for someone, I'm, I'm electing them. I'm not electing some sort of company to sort of start running the show. That's yeah. just, that's what I think anyway. I mean... Um, sorry, I on the second jobs thing, I totally think MPs should be more than entitled to a second job. Um, you know, a good example um, would be Ed Davey. Um, I think he got uh, £76,000 a year from, uh, he had like um, a second job, but he worked for two different companies, but I believe it was the same sort of role. Um, and he used those funds to support his child. Um, because obviously um, his child's disabled um, and I think actually an MP salary and I may be very you know I don't many people don't support me you know in my class you know when people are asked do you think MPs get paid enough everyone seems to say they get paid more than enough personally I think they're paid very little for their job you know I think um, after tax it's about you only get about 50,000 left maybe i may be wrong on that it may be a bit more but um that's just a rough calculation in my head and if you think some mps will uh, be obviously using some of those funds for private security now um i can see that probably being likelihood obviously especially after sir david amis um and personally i think they're paid a bit too little um you know yeah if, i can want the best of the best in your parliament, you need to be paying a very good wage. Um, for example, actually it was my politics teacher who used this example when he was saying, arguing why MPs should be paid more, uh, was that if you want somebody like Andy Street, I know he's a mayor, but um, who was CEO of John Lewis, getting a very, very good salary, way more than an MP most probably, I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on it, but if you want his business knowledge in our parliament, 
well, you've got to be paying more than John Lewis will be. <laughs> if not, that job isn't attractive to him because, you know, being CEO of John Lewis, you don't get half as much negative media, negative comments as being an MP. You know, uh, Caroline Noakes, um, she, I think she put out a tweet yesterday where somebody had emailed her, um, it was something like, shame, it wasn't you who got ranked. Well, no MP deserves that. And so, you know, for what they put up with, they get paid very little. I, I, I see where you're coming from, um, exactly where you're coming from. That's the line, that's the same issue that I weigh up in my head because I know they get sort of expenses as well, um, which I don't agree that they should be redacted, by the way. That's just a point off my head. They're now sort of going to be redacting the expenses I'm not sure if you heard. I, I don't agree with that. I've not, I've not heard of that, but my personal view is if you want to claim something from the public, I want to know exactly what that is, where you brought it from and how much you spent. Exactly. So I, I, that's less transparent, which um, sort of, that's sort of a side topic, but I, we don't need redactions. But I think they're also travelling a lot. So I imagine that the train fares and all this other stuff yeah. mount up but I know that I think they get expenses for that actually but I, I don't think the House of Commons will ever attract sort of a big sort of business person anyway to, to, to be quite honest um, I, I'm, I'm not sure but I, I think that the problem with the two jobs as well is you have one camp of people that are saying well your main priority should be the people that's who you're elected to serve. But then there'll be the other side that are like, well, it depends how much sort of time it takes up. Does yeah. it affect your job? Uh, because somewhat an MP, for example, could have their own business, could they not? Yeah, I believe, um, I want to say Grant Shapps still ran his own business for a few years. But I may be wrong in that. I don't, mm, I can't remember. I, just I don't remember. have, I, I mean, I wouldn't, have any problem with that um sort of happening it it sort of becomes a problem when their second job starts becoming the first job and how how do you find that balance I know. how does the public know how much time you're spending on your second job is also very important to sort of keep in mind because you could have someone spending sort of 80 hours sort of a week on the second job then you could get someone doing maybe five hours on the second job is it fair that they're banned from doing that second job i'm not so sure i think this is where mps really do have to make sure they have their priorities correct if you want to stand for parliament and you want to represent your constituency and you don't think the wage is enough because some mps do not believe they get paid enough i'm happy for you to have a second job you know, I make it sound as if I'm a voter here. I'm not even old enough to vote. But um, what I do think is you just need to make sure that your constituency is always put first. You know, being an MP is not a nine to five job. It's a 24 hour job for the next five years. Well, until the next election, because elections in this country don't seem to happen when they should. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, say we've got the Scottish MPs, you know, Andrew Bowie, for example, 
you know, I just typed in here, Scotland to London price. Say he was coming from Aberdeen, it cost him £106. So once that builds up over the five years, I totally get that's quite a lot. But I don't think he has a second job. I mean, I'm just assuming here, but it was just the quickest one to find. Um, and so it can be costly to still be an MP. Um, and, you know, maybe they can put that on their expenses. But what I do think is you need to pay MPs more. Um, and uh, the whole second jobs thing, if an MP feels like they have the time for a second job and that they can still, you know, focus on their constituency work, just let them be, you know, because I think ultimately when you're in a job, you're always developing a skill set. And I think any skill set is valuable to the House of Commons. Yeah, I, 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 com I get where you're coming from. The main issue I would have um, is if you raise the MPs pay, it just doesn't, it never goes down well, no. to say the least. Um, Two, yeah, my, sec my second sort of thing is that the wages of people, ordinary workers seem to be sort of not catching up with inflation. And then you've got the people who are supposed to serve the people sort of getting that theirs does um, match it or keep up with it at least. Whereas someone who, you know, is on minimum wage or, or something, they might be on minimum wage for five years in a row. Yeah. And um, I think this, I think what's important to remember is MP's pay is not actually decided by the MPs. Yeah. It's done right. by an independent body. Some people like to think that MPs just give themselves pay rises. They don't. Uh, I believe under, I'm going to say it was David Cameron, it could have been Gordon Brown. It was set up by an independent body who deals with MPs' wages now. You know, so if an MP gets a pay rise, don't blame them. Yeah, that's the problem of the, uh, that's another problem of our great media. It always acts as if it's the MPs that are doing this. It's not the MPs. People will just read sort of the headline and they might say MPs get, you know, a new wage rise. These people need to understand it's not the MPs that have just gone, right, I want an extra five grand a year, so I'm going to do that. It, it's an independent body. So if people do want to sort of see a change to that, go and hound them. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not Boris Johnson or if Keir Starmer was prime minister, it wouldn't be him sort of saying, right, I'm going to get an extra 10 grand um, a year. So I think sort of a lot of people do seem misinformed about that. But I think that is due to the news and how they report on it. I totally agree. And I think we've spent roughly about 15 minutes uh, on this uh, sort of topic. So I think we can move swiftly on uh, to something I'm sure you are very passionate about, Emilio, uh, more so probably than me. And that is that um, NHS workers, uh, frontline and uh, social care workers, actually, I'm not sure if it's just in care homes, actually. So um, they are being, they're essentially being banned from working in those jobs if they are unvaccinated. Again, yeah. your thoughts? It, my thoughts are, the it's bewildering to me. I remember last year, I was one of them people 
a bit I don't really use the NHS a lot I'm not look I'm lucky in that sort of regards I've never had to really use it a lot because I've not been ill or whatever but I remember I would go out and I'd be one of them people clapping but to me now if you were one of them people that went out and sort of you know clapped you banged your pans and you're now saying that that person who you was clapping for last year doesn't deserve their job because of one of the choices that they made in their life, which is private, by the way. It should be private. It's their own medical sort of thing. That I don't understand. I don't understand how people can come to that sort of conclusion. It seems to me as very hypocritical. And it's not my sort of idea of what would happen in a free sort of society. Oh, yeah, get this. Or, you, you know, you can't come to work and you'll have to claim... Um, benefits which puts more strain on the taxpayers when you just everyone worshipped these people last year and now every well not everyone but some people are like oh well they're they're bloody killing everyone because they're not fully vaccinated I, 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 it really does infuriate me actually I think I come at this from a bit of a different perspective I'm not so um, you know in terms of you know the NHS clapping I will be totally honest I did not do that personally because my best way, I believe, of supporting the NHS workers was actually staying indoors. Uh, you know, apart from obviously daily walks or out in the garden, um, purely just because every Thursday when I saw my neighbours out in the street, they would all cuddle together and have a massive <laughs> chat. And it soon become just a weekly catch up session. And I just thought that is so disrespectful on so many levels. Um, but you know some people need that you know comfort i suppose uh, and so i feel bad for those who obviously suffered during lockdown which is why i don't re i didn't really support lockdowns as it were um but in terms of nhs staff being vaccinated and care work staff first there so when obviously was hearing the vaccines coming these people are getting it so most I say most, uh, my nan and my auntie are both care workers. Um, my auntie's more of the pensioner, I must say. She sort of does the paperwork rather than the actual job. But um, that's for another day. Um, and I'd had, a so my nan did not want the vaccine whatsoever. Um, and I remember um, there was this one time we had this massive argument in my kitchen about having this vaccine because I because her reason for not taking it was simply just because it's her choice well I did personally thought I don't think that's a very good reason because I just see it as we're told that this and I do trust the government when they say this and I trust the scientists and I know some people don't and you know that that's to them and if your reason is you don't trust them, okay, that's fine. But I do. And so I was saying, well, actually, this is the best way to protect people. You go into vulnerable people's homes. And if you've not had the vaccine, you know, the vaccine still allows people to catch it. And so actually, I think what's wise is you do get it. And um, eventually she did get it. Um, and she's now sort of on the side of if you don't get the vaccine, you shouldn't really have your job. But um and then i 
so my auntie willingly took the vaccine and she's on the side of even if you don't have it um you should still be able to keep your job and again i had a bit of an argument with her in my kitchen um i feel bad for anybody who enters my kitchen and we disagree actually i think <laughs> because we end up arguing um but i i keep on changing my mind on the issue i there are times there are some times when somebody will talk to me and i feel actually do you know what they should have to get it or not have your job then there are other times where quite simply i think do you know what the majority of people the majority now have had it i think this is as much people as you're going to get really um who are entitled to get it exactly we got i don't know i think it's quite a complicated issue um and it, it is complicated but we, we we sort of must remember most people are now double vaxxed they're now bringing out a third one probably there'll be a fourth one by next year i'm absolutely sure of that and another issue is i've had two jabs i'm not getting the third one so you are double I, vaccinated not that you have to disclose yeah yeah um i, I I only got it so I could go on holiday. I'm going to be honest. I know a lot of people did that. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is now is as follows. The double vaccinated who refuse... I'm not even going to say refuse because that's not the right word. You know, it's a choice. Who, who don't take up the call because um, it will come down to our age group just like the other vaccines, I'm sure. So when I say, no, I don't want that, thanks. Am I going to be classed as unvaccinated? I'm going to be treated the exact same as someone who's had no vaccine, no vaccinations. And that is just, that's just not scientific in in my eyes. And we, sorry, carry on. Oh yeah. I was just, my, my final sort of point about this sort of third jab seems to be it's we're we're acting um, as if the, the COVID, um, disease is deadly to everyone like not everybody needs a third jab not everybody even needed the vaccine you know when you look at sort of the the breakdowns on ons you know uh, the 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 death rate for i think under 25s who've had no um underlying health conditions it's tiny so why should sort of a 25 year old not have a job sort of because of that because healthcare is about yourself first, and it's, it always has been. And it since this pandemic, it's actually become not about protecting yourself, which is very strange to me. It seems to be about protecting well, other people rather than yourself, in a way. So um, I somewhat predicted that you know people would be asked to have more vaccines more of the vaccine and and not so quickly i thought actually you know next year in the winter a bit like the flu people will be asked to have the flu and the covid vaccine i personally just thought this covid vaccine you'll get a booster every year and it'll be offered and you know it'll be they'll only really ask you know um i think you know people who work in the nhs people the elderly people who are vulnerable and everybody else would sort of be okay. You know, you wouldn't be asked to take it every year. It'd become a bit like the flu. And um, it's happened a bit quicker. And I, in terms of the booster jab, 
I think what's difficult about people to get on side is the way how the government approached the first two. It was sort of a bit like, well, you take both of these, you're going to be okay. I feel, and I totally get why they did that messaging. However, I feel like it sort of ruined this third jab and getting people to take it on, take it, um, because people feel like they are okay. And actually, do you know what, getting your vaccine um, takes out quite a bit of time, especially when they make you stay 10 minutes. <laughs> Afterwards, I think that's the most annoying thing ever. I think I left after eight minutes of mine because I had a train to catch, because I actually got mine after randomly in a shopping centre after being approached. I wouldn't mind, I'd just been to an MP's party. Um, you know, I mean... That is a weird thing. Getting, I mean, that in itself is a bit strange to me, sort of someone walking up to you in a shopping mall. Can I inject this into you? <laughs> Well, we're sort of, would you like you? Would you like? Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. I, I, well, I, I, get I did want coming. it, yeah. But then it was sort of, yeah. I was, I was just sort of in the middle of nowhere, and I'm getting my vaccine. I thought it was the weirdest thing ever because originally I planned, you know what? I'm going to get a photo of me getting my vaccine. I'm going to put it on social media. You know, be a bit like an MP. You know, yeah. all happy and all that. Well. Could were you even an MP if you didn't post yourself getting jabbed? I know, although some MPs were sort of attacked in their comments for getting the jab. It was sort of a thing of, uh, you know, it's fake. I think Theresa May's just because of the, um, the nurse sort of had her, there was like a finger just covering the needle and people were messaging on Theresa May's, that's fake. Well, you know what, the picture probably was fake, but she probably did have the vaccine, to be honest. Yeah, that this is another sort of thing that I don't fall into the camp of. I, there's people that will say, as I do, oh, it's up to you, do what you want. But then some of these same people then sort of say, well, why, have you, why are you getting the jab? Like, if you've said that you don't care, then just just sort of ignore it. What, I, what is weird now, I, I saw PMQs yesterday, half or three quarters of the Tories in there all wearing masks. When I dis I remember the same people calling out the Labour MPs who all attend the hate the House of Commons in masks. Like what what is going on? What you know I don't understand I, I so, think the mask thing is just virtue signaling at this point. I really defense, do. In defense of those Tory MPs, and I, I think that's because I'm a bit more of a party loyalist. Um, I must say, I am a bit of a party loyalist, you know, I try and stick by them no matter what, although there are times that I do have to admit I've so considered leaving. Um, but so um, I don't know if this was the instance you're referring to. So uh, in the House of Commons, you know, Labour were attacking the Tories for not wearing their masks. But then pictures came out of um, some Labour MPs. They were, it was in a packed event. None of them were wearing their masks. <laughs> All for show. The thing on the masks is, in my opinion, is wear it if you want to. I I do wear mine in busy situations. So there are some times on the train, this is the only time I ever really wear it, uh, if I'm getting the train, um, I will wear my mask if it is busy. If it is empty and there's like maybe five of us on the carriage, I'm not going to wear my mask. I'll admit I've not wear, worn my mask when asked to on um, PFL, purely because, well, you know, it's personal responsibility here. 
if I think I'm safe and I'm not endangering others, that's fine. But um, yeah, this whole mask thing. It's just it just seems for show, you know. I, I see people on sort of Twitter with they got masks on in the profile picture, like <laughs> no one can see who you are. I mean that that's just that's a non-issue. But the the issue that I have with sort of the the mask mandate people is when they sort of approach you and then start making a big scene like you why can you say that i should wear a mask you know who what gives you the right to tell me you know someone that they they don't even know to, to sort of put this thing on i don't i don't want to wear it i won't when i went on the airplane i got a mask exemption there's nothing wrong with me I'll admit that, and that's in the government guidelines. I research the government guidelines, and they say as follows at the time. If you, to, if you were exempt from a mask, you do not need to provide anybody with evidence or a doctor's note. So all I did was I emailed EasyJet, and I said, I'm exempt. And they said, no problem, we'll add it to your flight. Where, what seat are you sitting in? Boom, done. Simple. No one said no one said anything to me because I I assumed that they were all normal people and wouldn't freak out about someone not wearing a mask. And if they did tell me to wear one, or they was gonna kick me off the flight, I would obviously wear one. But I because of the amount of double vaccinated people there are now, I just there's just no there's just no point. There is no point in my opinion. The mask mandate thing I we've sort of gone off topic here but you know it's topical um it's sort of, the thing i see with it if you know we were to be asked to wear masks again is that people wear those <laughs> that those i've seen a knitted mask ones. i've seen someone with a knitted mask uh, like with big square gaps in it <laughs> for those of you if we do put this out as the video i'm referring to these little surgical ones yeah Right, these masks, I'll admit, I've worn, it, worn one or two over and over. And I so know that is not doing anything to help because I've already worn it. But you know what? The thing is, they get quite expensive. And I know people say, buy these nice little fabric ones. Well, do you know what? The surgical ones are better because it's easier to breathe through. And these fabric ones, you just got to, it's like being suffocated. As a it, kid, it's different not, levels. Not a, a plastic bag over your face. Well, what are you doing with your fabric mask? The the problem as well with the masks is everyone just bought all different ones. I mean, China raked in a lot of money from the masks, as everyone knows. But people's ma people's masks weren't as good as sort of the professional ones, and then some were just pretty much useless anyway. So what what actually did it do? And you know, I totally get some of the masks are a bit of a you know lockdown project. Everyone was designing their own and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. But you, these fab, no, these fabric ones really annoy me. Nine times out of ten, because people still don't even wash them, so I don't really see the point. But you know, and also people wear them under the nose anyway, um, to, yeah. because they just don't want to cause a problem by not wearing one. So they just go and put like sort of put it below the nose and say, ah, screw it. I remember um, when we was finally asked to wear them in school. Uh, this wasn't a government policy at the time. It was literally just their teacher. 
and I was sort of a bit infuriated by it. I, I would because, be. Because you had me, you know, for if you'd asked me at the start of the year to wear this mask, okay, that's fine. But you asked me halfway through, well, not halfway through, actually, like a couple of weeks in, and it's the thing of, well, there's a rise in cases. To me, if a place is that dangerous for you to be in, that you have to wear a mask, should we be here? <laughs> I totally get education and stuff, and I'm, you know, I argue that, you know, schools shouldn't have been shut down in the first place. But if a place is that dangerous, you know, and my school was so small, so there was about 400 of us in total, and that's from like year seven to year 13. And so we, was, we all pretty much, for each year group, there's about three classrooms, which was their space. You know, you're pretty much in contact with the exact same people. You're always pretty much sat in the same seat and your outside area was always just your year group. I didn't really see the point in the mask. And it actually got the, so one of my maths teacher, um, I'm not sure if she'll ever hear this. I don't know how much of an interest they still take in me. Um, but she'd emailed my head teacher to say that I was very argumentative about the mask wearing. Um, and that I was rude to her about it because I just said it was a stupid rule about the mask. So that day he'd come into all of our form rooms, just year 11, which is the year I was in. And he spoke about why we wear masks and he used, which I think is a bit weird, but I sort of get his point. He used the example of um, seatbelts. Years ago, people didn't ask you to wear seatbelts, but now they ask you to wear a seatbelt. I thought it was a bit of a weird example. It's a very bad, it's a very bad example. And then he says, raise your hands if you have any other questions or if you disagree. Well, I put my hand up. We then went outside and had a chat. And then he, he pretty much told me that he had this special research. So I don't know how special it was. And that he, it was about a 1% difference. 1%? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so is wearing masks that effective? I'm not so sure. It's just, just to me, if you want to wear it, you know, if you want to wear it, you're driving around in your own car, you're by yourself and you still want to wear it and look like, you know, a bit of a crackpot, <laughs> then do that. But don't come to me and then say, no, no, I, I'm wearing it. So you've got to wear it. If you want to wear it, wear it. Don't start commenting on everyone else saying you've got to do this. You've got to do that. It's like, just, I think the COVID has brought out that the fact that there's a lot of people out there in our country that want to control people's lives. It's just evident to see from this sort of pandemic. Well, on the mask thing, as I say, I always wear my mask when it's very crowded with people I don't have everyday contact with because, you know, yeah. I'll be honest, I don't do my lateral flow test twice a week. I do it like once every two weeks if I remember. Um, that's mainly because of school. Oh, you're a silent spreader. You're going to kill people. You're basically well, a murderer now. How do you feel? The thing is, I just find I don't have enough time in my diary to be doing the lateral flow test. I know they <laughs> say it's very quick, but has, you know, if I'm going anywhere that's particularly different to my normal circle, I will yeah. do a test. You know, before I actually board trains, I do actually take a test just because, to be careful. Um, but as I say, I don't, 
we're sort of coming out of this. I have had my jab, and obviously now I need to book my second because they've asked uh, my age range to have a second, um, which I'm fine with because um, I wanted the second anyway. Because I did feel I don't know why. Well, if you've got one, I mean, you might as well. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I I had COVID anyway. Like uh, when the Euro sort of football tournament was on. Um, just stayed at home, but I, I mean, I, surely I've got natural immunity by now. Well, I must have anyway because I had COVID. Then I had the I had the two vaccines before sort of that. I, I just don't see any reason for me to comply with any more restrictions, which I won't be doing, and I won't be complying with any more masks. I won't be complying with any more sort of Christmas rules. Oh, you can only have one grand grand over, not two. You know I, I, that. Sajid Javid is saying to people on Twitter, look, if you don't get the third booster, we might not have Christmas. That, to me, is blackmail. And he knows full well what he's doing, Sajid Javid. Not quite angry with Sajid Javid, actually. And especially the way that he treated um, someone on Twitter. Can I just just read out his, his Twitter post? Yeah, yeah, feel free. Because this, I, I thought was made up, but it's actually a real post. So, there's a man, David Atherton, posts on Twitter, from our, quote, world-beating NHS, end quote, went for my third jab today, previously having had two Pfizer ones. They were only using Moderna vaccines. WTF is happening, and then he tags Sajid Jab, Sajid Javid. Um, I mean, I think the science is still a bit iffy about mixing sort of the vaccines. So mm-hmm. I understand a lot of people are concerned about that. I wouldn't want to have two or three different ones. Sajid Javid, the health secretary, replies, so what? How about you show some respect for the NHS? I mean, what that that is, that's not, and that's a ridiculous reply. He's not disrespecting the NHS in any way whatsoever uh, in my eyes and it's ju- it just goes to show we've got this NHS is a religion mentality and I think a lot of the MPs hold it so you can't say anything about the NHS. I think the thing with the NHS is with the general public it's I'll admit it's a very see I don't like using the term good because I don't believe it's good yeah it's a very is a very needed service, the NHS. I'm, I'm not going to say it's good. And so, you know, the public, you know, have strong support for it. However, um, and so it's so obviously an issue that people don't want to really, you don't want to say we're taking money away or yeah. stuff like that, which is why I personally think the argument of every election the Tories are going to sell off the NHS. Well, to be fair, even if they wanted to, they would not, because they know deep down that is very bad strategically. They will never win an election again. Well, not that I can see. And, you know, they would then be ending their power by doing that. And exactly. So I think you're very stupid if you ever have put out the thing the Tories will sell off the NHS. Not, not to mention the fact that they just keep bumping sort of billions of pounds into it as well. So, you know, you will never fix the NHS by putting more money into it. 
Oh, of course you will. And people now need to start accepting that. The NHS needs a complete overhaul and reforms. Um, and so that uh, probably uh, concludes for us today. Yeah. Um, which I think was a great discussion. Um, everybody else, if you're interested, you can now check out season two of my other podcast, The Political Pod. Uh, there's a new interview that's uploaded Tuesday. Um, next Tuesday, you'll get my per uh, my personal roundup on the news. And then the following Tuesday, you'll get another interview uh, with the guest to be confirmed. Um, Again, you can follow the Let's Talk Pol Politics podcast um, on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can follow Emilio on his Facebook page, Telegram, uh, and you can follow me on every single social media platform. Thank you for tuning in.